Well, hey, today is a perfect day uh, for you guys to be here because today we're kicking off a new series. Uh, we're calling this series Together for Boston. And what we have done, this is unique in that we have joined with 12 other Boston area churches uh, for the next three weeks. So 13 total, including ourselves, uh, to ensure that we get all of our hearts aligned. We are on the same team. We've got the same great commission. And we're going to together just plead with God to, to bring glory and honor to his name and to help us together to love and to serve our city and our specific neighborhoods really well. And so what I want to do is I want to show you a map. We have a map with uh, lots of dots on it just for you to kind of see where these churches are coming from all over greater Boston. And for me, I don't know, I'm a map guy. And so I have maps on the walls and my house. I've got coasters that are maps. I just, I, I like maps. And for me, when I look at a map and specifically seeing these dots, it just reminds me uh, that these churches that we're joining with represent neighborhoods, which are full of people, which are full of our extended faith family who are also seeking to make an impact on their neighborhoods like we're seeking to make an impact on West Boston. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, for our next three weeks in this series, 12 other churches, we're going to introduce you uh, to uh, four churches a week. And then what we're going to do together as a faith family is we're going to pray for those churches throughout the course of the week. So I'm going to give you the names of these churches. And if you want to write them down or input them into your phone or even just take a picture of the screen. Um, and we're also going to do some creative ways throughout the week to help you be reminded uh, to pray. But I want to introduce you to each of these churches so that we can pray for them with uh, just a little bit of information in mind. The first church is Hope Fellowship Church. That's in Cambridge. Uh, my, my buddy Curtis is the pastor there right off of Porter Square. Great church. They do an incredible job connecting with Harvard students and Cambridge area young professionals. And uh, their pastor, Curtis, and I uh, get to travel together once a year and do this, this conference we put on. And so uh, it's just a really uh, great faith family. So Hope Cambridge. Uh, the next one is Restoration Road. They're a little further north of the city there in Wakefield, Mass. And uh, they are a, a church full of kind of just blue-collar uh, people in Wakefield, a, a new congregation. Their pastor, Joey Thompson, uh, is thoroughbred Bostonian. So I think of all the churches that are joining us uh, through this series, he wins the award for the best, most thickest Boston accent of all of us. And so love this guy. They have a new church building. They've been praying and uh, they just got a church building uh, just sold to them at an unbelievably reduced rate. And so uh, there's hope faith family. There's hope. And so, yes. So keep praying. I've seen it. I've seen it. And uh, it, it does happen. So uh, that's Restoration Road in Wakefield. Uh, the next one is Seven Mile Road. They have a few of them, but the first one was up in uh, Melrose, Ma uh, Massachusetts. And their pastor, Matt, has delivered the very best sermon on Acts chapter 20 that I have ever heard. It was just so incredibly impactful. And this church does an amazing job uh, with young professionals uh, just north of the city, and they do an incredible job with soul care and shepherding. Love this church. Great church. And then the next church, and the last one we'll be praying for specifically this week, is called Hub Church. Uh, Boston is known as the hub of New England, the hub of the world, really. That's how we consider it, right? And so uh, uh, pray for Hub Church. Uh, they do church a little bit differently in a good way, I think, in that they don't focus so much on Sunday mornings. Uh, they really focus on training their people 
for Monday through Saturday to live lives as people who are going to go and be good neighbors and coworkers and impact uh, their city. And so uh, they're in Southie, South Boston, and uh, just a great church. In fact, I got some time with their pastor, Charlie, this week, and just, just seeing his heart was just so beautiful and just so loved, that guy and that church and all that God's doing there. So uh, those are our four churches for the week. Are you guys with me to pray for them? You with me? All right, cool. Uh, so let's make a point to pray for them. Uh, maybe set an alarm on your phone and let's be praying. And uh, remember, these are our church families. These are not even buildings. Some have buildings. These are not buildings. These are uh, not even organizations. These are people like you and me that are our family that we want to love and, and join together to serve our great city. And so uh, write, their na- write their names down, uh, take a photo, whatever you got to do, and let's pray. So uh, what I want to do is, I know I just finished praying. I want to kick off our uh, time uh, of prayer through the week by just praying for these churches right now. So uh, you want to join me and just pray for them? Let's do it. Let's have our initial prayer for them right now. Father, I know that this isn't something that happens a lot. Churches praying for other churches and, and forgive us for that. But we come to you now um, to commit Hope Fellowship and Restoration Road and Seven Mile Road and Hub Church to you. God, thank you for all that you've been doing in the hearts of these people to gather them as a congregation and to grow them. And God, we pray that you in this season would help them to become more and more like Christ. And God, today as we kick off this season with the fall kickoff, we also ask that for them, this would be the most transformative season that they've ever seen in their church and in their neighborhoods. So do a good work in them and do a good work through them this fall for your glory and for the good of Cambridge and Wakefield and Melrose and Southie. May your kingdom come in Boston as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So why are we doing this? Why, why do we do this? It's really easy. We do this because it's important to Jesus. We're going to briefly look this morning at John chapter 17, and so we'll put it on the screen for you here in a bit. Uh, You can use your own personal Bible. If you need a Bible, we've got paper Bibles uh, around the room. Take one home for yourself if you need one, or bring one uh, to give to a family member, a friend if they need one. Uh, As Kevin mentioned earlier, the Charles River Church app, download that, all kinds of resources, but we have a Bible on there for you as well. John 17. Now, while you're turning there, I want you to think of someone who's close to your heart. You ready? Go for it. Think of somebody who's close to your heart, somebody who you've known for a really long time, any person. You thinking? All right, you got them? You got them? All right. Now, I'm going to make it a little bit more difficult. You got that person in mind. Now, imagine that they're now on their deathbed. They're on their deathbed. Imagine you're with them. This is Maybe the most intimate moment that you've ever had, you and this person. You're close with them. And right there in that moment, they give you their dying wish for you. Here's what I wish for you. Imagine their dying wish for you is something like, they whisper this to you. I want you to build a beachfront mansion on Martha's Vineyard. And I want you to enjoy it. And I want you and your family and your friends, bring them all in. And you guys all enjoy it. And then they're gone. That's essentially what Jesus does here in John chapter 17. He gives us his dying wish. And then he goes to the cross shortly thereafter. 
Now, does anybody in here feel the tension with that dying wish? I heard some chuckles. Like, um, I really would love to honor your dying wish. Like, I, I really want to, 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 to come true on your request, but I can't do that. A mansion? Like, I, I, I can't do that unless you were also to whisper in my ear that you were leaving behind an inheritance of tens of millions of dollars, right? It's just, I, I want to, I just, I, I can't, right? And that is true also with Jesus' dying wish that we get here in John chapter 17. It's, it's amazing, but we can't do it. I mean, we want to fulfill Jesus' request. We want to honor him. We've tried, but we personally do not have the means to pull it off. Isn't that an encouraging message for you this morning, church? Like, I came to church to be told that I can't do it. Well, there you go. You, you can't do it. Let me show you this in his dying wish uh, for, for you and for me. John chapter 17. This is the Lord's Prayer. Now, as you look at this, you might be thinking, wait a second. This isn't the Lord's Prayer. I know the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is. This... This is the Lord's Prayer, actually. That, that really is more like the disciples' prayer, though uh, people who translate the scriptures will put the Lord's Prayer at the top. That's really more the disciples' prayer. This is the Lord's Prayer. The disciples' prayer, they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. Now, one of, one of the things I love about this is the reality that they could have come to Jesus and asked for anything. Jesus, would you teach us to preach like you preach? Jesus, would you teach us to perform miracles like you perform miracles? What do they say? They say, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Why is that? Because they clearly have seen his life and say, wow, there is some serious power when you pray. And when you pray, there's this something. It's amazing. Teach us to, to, to pray. Now, now that's, that's, the, that's the disciples' prayer, right? But Jesus himself never personally had to pray that prayer, right? Like Jesus himself never had to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against. Because Jesus himself never sinned. He doesn't need forgiveness of sin. He's teaching us how to pray, appropriate for us. But John 17 really is the Lord's prayer. It's the longest prayer we have from Jesus in the Bible. Not that it's his longest prayer that he ever uh, prays, because we know Mark chapter 3, he's up all night long in prayer. But it's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. And in this prayer, we get so much rich insight into the heart of who Jesus is. John Knox, he's this uh, preacher, revivalist in Scotland uh, back in the day. He used to say that, that in this prayer, we have the holy of holies of the scriptures. If, if this is a temple, John chapter 17 would be the, the holy of holies. It's that most sacred place because we get the very essence and the very heart of God himself as the Trinity praying within himself. And on his deathbed, John Knox so loved John 17 that this Scottish preacher um, said to his wife, he said, would you just pray this prayer? Just, just, just give me Jesus's prayer, John 17, over and over and over and over again until I die. This is the Lord's personal prayer. This is what's on Jesus's heart 
just before going to the cross. Now, if you were to look at John chapter 17, and you can do that now, uh, you see that it's, it's kind of divided into three sections. First, he prays for himself, verses 1 through 5. He prays for himself. Uh, second, he prays for his disciples, verses 6 through 19. And then finally, he prays for you and for me. And so that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning, his, his prayer for you and for me. And so look at, look at verse 20. Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he says, Father, I don't just pray for that middle section, my disciples who were there with him on the earth at that time, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, through their preaching and through the recording of the message of Jesus that comes to us from the disciples here in the New Testament. I pray for those who would believe because of the disciples. So what he is doing is he's thinking ahead to our present reality in his prayer life. And he's thinking ahead to our unique challenges that we're facing right now, 2019. And with divine insight, he gives a request for us. And what is it? Verse 21, he prays that they may all be one. Jesus' wish for us just before being gone is I pray that you would be one. Pray that you would be one. And looking into the future, he knows the struggles. It's like he's reading our headlines, right? 2019, protests, riots in Hong Kong, terror in New Zealand, terror in Sri Lanka, terror in public schools, right? Uh, racial strife, political uh, violence. It's just, it's crazy, right? And Jesus's prayer in the midst of all of this for us, knowing what's coming, is that there would be this beacon of, of unity. And, and that beacon of unity would be those people who will believe in me in 2019. His prayer is they would be the beacon of unity my people, my church, that they would be radically together. They would be radically united. People talk about uh, religious people becoming radicalized. The radicalization of Christianity is that we would be radically one, that we would be one. We would be a beacon of unity to the world, that they may all be one. Now, pay attention to those words. I went back and looked through the, the languages a little bit here. I appreciate the specificity of this prayer. He doesn't just pray that they may be one. He prays that they may all be one. It was as if he was anticipating that we could say, no, we're one. Like our church, we're pretty close. We're, we're, we're knit. We're united. But we can be united and still the larger church still be divided. We can be unified as a local church and, and divided throughout the, the greater church. And so he prays that we would all be one. I remember when God first started to open my eyes to this. I was 17 years old, and it was looking back very clear now that he was doing a, a really specific work in my heart that really has led to who we've become as a church family. Uh, I had been hanging out in the projects uh, with kids, essentially in uh, the hood, and I had been mentoring children and uh, just bringing my friends along with me to, to just see what that's like and hang out with kids who were very different. And there was this one particular family that I just had the, the closest relationship with, uh, a boy named Joshua and his sister. Sister Olivia and brother Lewis and their grandma Sadie and uh, we just became really really close and I got to the point where I wanted to invite them to my church and as I prepared to invite them to my church it just hit me well that would be odd for them because my church was 100% white 
and this was an African-American family. And I don't want them to feel uncomfortable. I'm like, this, is that, I don't know. I don't, so what I decided to do was I, I remember that there was this uh, African-American church just around the corner from the church that I grew up in, Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And I'll never forget, I decided I'm going to visit those guys. And so I remember uh, my church happened and they went on for like three hours or four hours. And so I'm going to go to them right after my church. My church was over and I started walking down the road uh, over to Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. And I remember approaching the church and the doors were open to that church. And I I remember walking down there and I could see into the, and people were in there and they looked way different than me. And I got into the building and quickly realized that I was underdressed. I was, I was way underdressed. I mean, they were all in suits, and the women had big old hats. It was awesome. And, uh, and then I got in there, and I quickly realized I don't even think I could clap appropriately, right? And I was swaying in the wrong direction. I was trying to, you know, it was, it was bad, right? But I, I was treated with unbelievable love and unbelievable kindness. However, there really wasn't a, a oneness between that church who trusts in the same Jesus, has the same mission, in my church, there wasn't a oneness between the two of us. Here's the thing. Our church is, our church is together. We were just around the corner. We even had a joint service together every single year. And what we would do is we would alternate in this joint service where uh, our pastor would preach and their music guy would lead music. And, and then the next year, their pastor would preach and our music guy would lull everybody to sleep. And so we do this joint service uh, together every year. And we'd have a really nice time. And we'd go, wow, this is beautiful, right? Unity, hooray. And then never talk to each other again until next year's joint service when we walked into the doors of one of the other churches and go on being divided by racial lines and cultural lines and social lines. Is this the oneness that Jesus is praying for, his, his, his wish here for us? He prays that they may all be one. Not that just my church there would be unified or that their church would be unified, but that we all may be unified. That's his, his wish, is for unity. Not that we abandon our, our racial and our cultural distinctives. He didn't, he didn't pray for uniformity. He prayed for, for unity. He prayed for unity amidst our, our diversity. Embrace the things that are different about you. That, that's a beautiful thing that God does with his family. He says, you're different and you're different and you're different and you're different. But we can be one. We can be one. In fact, let's read the entirety of the third part of Jesus' prayer specifically for us today, if you would. Beginning in verse 20. So he says, I do not ask for these only, his disciples then, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I may know to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that they may, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I and 
them. Again, his wish for us, right at the beginning of his prayer for us, is that we may all be one. Unity right in the thick of diversity, not unity in some trivial way, calling us to all uh, dress a certain way, not unity in a trivial way where we all kind of adopt this one culture together. Rather, it's something much, much, much deeper. Here's the thing. Jesus' prayer for us is, is unity. And the world has worked really hard at unity throughout history. And, and, and our nation has worked really hard at unity throughout our, our brief history. And it seems like just when we think we have it, we're reminded again, especially over the past few years, we're not unified. We're, we're broken. We're divided. We don't have it. Now, here's the thing. Unity is like a dying wish for us to build a beachfront mansion, right? It's not happening unless you're giving me millions of dollars. It can't happen. And guess what? This is what Jesus does. This is what Jesus does. He calls us to unity, and then he enables us to have unity. See, whatever God calls us to, God empowers us to he made a way for unity for you and for me. He made a way for his very own prayer to be fulfilled. How? It's a familiar word for many of us. It's called the gospel. That's the way for unity. Gospel means good news. It's not a style of music that they were singing at Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, gospel music, although I love that. Gospel means good news. And this is the heart of the Christian faith. This is the message of Jesus. Good news. Now catch it. Good news. Which means it's already happened. It is news to be reported on. Right? It's, it's news. The Christian faith isn't uh, go do something to make God happy. It's something has already happened. It's news. It's done. It's happened. Think back to Jesus' prayer. Verse 21, he prays that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. So where does unity start? Unity starts not with us going and trying to be unified and pursuing unity with each other. Instead, it starts with us enjoying the unity that has been given to us with God. That we first might be in him and him in us. That's the heart of the gospel message. That's what makes the message of Jesus so distinct. It's not go do something, go pursue something. right? It's, it's receive what he's already given you. He's given you access to a relationship with him. That you would be restored into a relationship with God. The message is that every single person on this planet has sinned against God, our creator. That primary relationship, the relationship between God and man, has been broken. And as a result, everything else is broken. I don't think there's any denying, any denying that, that the world is, is broken. It's messed up. Division, death, it's crazy. Romans chapter 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. The result of sin, when sin enters the world, it brings death and hatred and pain and brokenness. But what God does, he's so good, he doesn't just leave us in our brokenness. He said, I made a perfect world, you, you mess it up. He doesn't leave us there, does he? He pursues us and he enters into our brokenness and God becomes a man, Jesus. 
God becomes a man, Jesus, from the small town of Nazareth, and he lives in our shoes. And, and, and God essentially in this is on a rescue mission. He's here to rescue the world, to restore the world, to right relationship with himself. And he receives the wages of sin, which is death. But did Jesus sin? No, you know the story of Jesus. He was perfect. He, was, he walked our road and he never sinned, and yet he died a death that he did not deserve on the cross. So that should you and I place faith in him and trust in him and what he has done and give our lives under the control of Jesus, we are now restored back into right relationship with God because the, the thing that has separated us, our, our sin has been taken care of, and the broken relationship is restored. It's all about this, all this stuff we're talking about, it's all about relational restoration. In order to have a restored relationship with people, we first have to have a restored relationship with God. And he gave us a restored relationship with him. We just have to receive it. We just have to receive it. He gives us good news, something that already happened. It's not religion, which is go do this, 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 and this, and, and earn God's favor. It's just open up your hands and receive what he has given you what's what's already happened Jesus died for you it's freely offered that's grace and so some of us in here today what we what we need today is we need to receive a relationship with God through Jesus that relationship changes everything we do not call you to religion we do not call you to to moralism we call you just to receive a relationship with Jesus, and it changes everything. We got a bunch of college students here. College students, you know when you like see somebody, they, 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 you know, there's a lot of relationship stuff happening in college, right? And they meet somebody, and then they just get goofy, right? It like changes the way they, right? They, you don't change for somebody. You meet somebody, and then you just... The, the change comes secondarily, right? That's what happens in our relationship with God. You don't clean up for God. You just, you fall in love with God. You enter into a relationship with God and then you just start to change. Just, it's more, it's more natural that way. That's what faith is supposed to look like. Don't clean up for God. Enter into a relationship with God and he will, he will change you. There's a difference between religion and relationship. It changes everything. The Bible says that it comes to us by grace. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. He earned it with his perfect life, and he received what he did not deserve, death, in your place, so that you get what you don't deserve, and that is freedom from death eternally, separation from God. It's amazing. So that's the first step. That's the first step when we talk about togetherness and, and fulfilling Jesus' prayer here and, and, and going and pursuing his, his wish that we, we can't even accomplish unity on our own. The first step is is have a restored relationship with God. It's available to you. It's a gift, right? It's not a reward. He's not giving you a medal, right? He's not giving you a trophy. It's a gift. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. I'm going to give my kids gifts for their birthday, whether they behave or not. Don't ever play that dumb Santa Claus game, right, with your kids. Well, like, if you'll behave, I'll give you something. No, well, it's a gift. It's a gift because I love you regardless of how dumb you act sometimes. And they act dumb a lot, right? <laughs> right? It's a gift. Restored relationship with God. It's grace. That's the Christian faith. That's the first step. That's where we start. And when you have restored relationship with God, an outworking that comes from that is restored relationship with each other. 
And if we don't earn our relationship with God, if we don't earn God's favor just based on his goodness, a gift that he gives us, not based on our merit, then watch what happens. Now there's no grounds for us as religious people, as Christians, to look down self-righteous noses at other people and think we're better than anybody. You see how unity comes about from the inside out? Comes about from this heart transformation that God gives us. The message of Jesus humbles us. Like, who am I? The message of Jesus doesn't make us self-righteous religious people. It makes us humble people. Like, wow, can't believe that you gave me this. And then it makes a, a level playing field for us and everybody else in our lives. The roommates who get under your skin, the people who are different than you, and how could they be like that? It's ridiculous. Why do they act like that? The family members that you're estranged with, the neighbors who are crazy and always smoking weed, and it's like they're wafting, they're taking a fan and blowing it into your windows when you're trying to enjoy that crisp, cool fall air, right? Or your marriage that's busted up right now. I mean, it gets real. The gospel transforms relationships. Transforms any relationship. Any relationship. That's why we can have a room full of people like this that are so different from so many different ethnic backgrounds and economic backgrounds and generational backgrounds. We're young and we're old. And it's a beautiful thing that God is building, right? It's because of what he has done. He's given us a gift. He's humbled us. And so it does something within us, and then it causes us to, causes us to be unified. And over time, that grace that's been given to us increasingly sinks into the depths of our souls, and our unity is increasingly perfected. Look at verse 23. Jesus prays that we would be perfectly one. He prays first that we would be one, and then he prays that we would be perfectly one. That is, that, that becoming one is like this growing process of struggling to outwork a, a, a tangible unity. As we're constantly being reminded and fixing our minds on the gospel message, we are perfected in our unity. Like, let me, let me give you a little theological lesson for just a moment here. The, the Bible talks about holiness. And when we give our lives to Jesus that very moment you are holy. You are clothed with Christ's righteousness, and at that very second that you trust in Jesus and receive his gift, boom, you are holy. You are a child of God. Holiness, positionally. But then we have to work out holiness practically, right? You're holy. You're heaven-bound. Now you got to figure out how to live it out, right? Now you got to start to obey the Lord. That all comes as you fall more and more in love with the Lord. So you might be holy positionally, but practically, a boy ain't holy. You know what I mean? You got to learn to live that thing out, right? Similarly with our unity. There's positional unity. Like the second you give your life to Jesus, if you've been adopted into the family of God, Josh, little Josh Wyatt at that church growing up, I was family with the, the people who were way different than me over at Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. Immediately, they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. Immediately. We didn't talk to each other until I turned 17 years old and started striking up friendships with them. And so practically, positional unity and then practical unity had to be worked out. See what I mean? That's what we have to do 
here is God has given us, he's given us unity, but now we have to perfect it and become perfectly one as we're growing in grace and growing in our understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. So, series, Together for Boston. How can we be for Boston, for the good of this city? First and foremost, according to what Jesus says here, is by being together for Boston. We can be for Boston best when we are together for Boston. What Boston needs to see is our unity, all our unity. Not just even the 13 churches. We invited a whole lot of other people. These are just 13 that decided to jump on with us. All our unity. What did Jesus say would bring about the most change for Boston, for our region, for our world? Our unity. That's why he says, look again, he says that we may be perfectly one, catch this, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And he says it how many times in this prayer? Twice. When something is repeated, it's a big deal. Pay attention. So that the world may believe. So that the world may believe. Our oneness helps people to see and believe that Jesus is, in fact, God's answer. As we grow closer and closer to, to each other and to him, the world looks on and they're left scratching their heads. What is this? Like, I can understand how, how there can be a white church and they're all kind of similar. And I can understand how there's a black church and they're all similar. And I can understand how there's a church full of all young professionals because they love Jesus and they want to hook up, right? And I can understand how there's a church of all college students. That makes sense to me. I can understand how there's a, a, a Dominican church over here and a Haitian church over here. But this, how do you explain that, right? It leaves the world scratching their heads and saying, how are they so unified, There's nothing that unifies them that's visible. But what unifies us is what's happening within, right? The gospel changes us. And so we are for Boston best when we are together for Boston. There's a very distinct unity that causes people to look on and say, what in the world is this? He says, you are unified so that the world may believe that Jesus came from heaven. And that he is God's answer to the brokenness of this world. So here's the order of impact. Together for Boston. First, that there is a restoration in your heart with with God. That you receive the gift of faith that God has made available to you. Together with God. And then together with each other. And then when we're locking arms together with each other, we are now best for Boston because they look on and they say, what in the world? I don't understand that family, but I think I want a piece of that family somehow. I want to taste that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray, and we're going to go perfect that unity over pancakes. Sound good? All right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for the message of the gospel. That is so different so different. It's part of why I believe it's so true. The world has all these answers and they're not working. You've given us the answer. You can be restored into a relationship with God, not based on being good enough, because how good is good enough? But you can know 
that you are right with God simply by receiving what he's given you and saying yes to Jesus. And so God, I pray for anybody in this room this morning who does not know Jesus. God, I pray that you would bring them into relationship with Jesus, that right now they would become a follower of Jesus, a Christian. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. If that's you, God is calling you right now, not to religion, but to a relationship with him, that you would call upon his name and you would be made right with God. The Bible makes it very clear. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's not as a result of work so that no one can boast. No one can look down a self-righteous nose. And so God, if there's someone here right now, would you work in their heart and help them just to receive grace, which is something they did not they did not earn. They do not deserve. You earned it for us. And then, God, I pray that you would knit our hearts together as a church family, that this season with our launching of a new semester of connection groups would be a rich and robust season for us, and that you would deepen our relationships with each other, and that as we ch churches together collectively seek to lock arms, that you would also deepen our relationships with each other and we would be able to be on your mission together as faith family in this city. And then God, that we would all be one. And then the world would look on and say, that's, that's special, that's a movement, that's a God thing. And I want a piece of that. And we'd be able to serve our city well. And so, God, we commit this series to you. We pray that you would knit our hearts together, that you would remind us to pray. And, God, we ask as well that you would help us in this season to, to, to just grow closer to you and closer to each other. So, God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for what you're doing in our midst. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.